You're listening to the Dear Baseball Gods podcast. I'm Dan Blewett, and on this show, you'll learn advanced concepts in baseball explained simply. I'm here to guide you on your baseball journey and help you paddle through what's now an ocean of misinformation, guruism, and overly technical diamond babble. Welcome back to Dear Baseball Gods. On today's podcast, we're going to cover three different topics. Number one, is distance running important? Is it bad? Is it good? We'll figure it out. Number two, how important is launch angle? Uh, Is this something useful to work into someone's swing? Is it good, bad, the devil, whatever? We're going to solve that as well. Lastly, we'll talk a little bit about long-term goals. How important are they? Are they overrated or are they underrated? Okay, so first, is distance running important? Now, distance running has been demonized by much of the strength and conditioning community, of which I'm a part. The basic tenets here are that distance running uses a different energy system than you use when doing any explosive uh, action. So swinging a bat is an anaerobic, very explosive exercise. And we obviously all know that you can't maintain that sort of effort level, that sort of intensity or explosiveness over a long distance uh, or long period of time, right? So aerobic, where you're jogging for 30 minutes or biking for 30 minutes or whatever, you know, those use your aerobic system. It's a, a much different type of exercise than, you know, doing something like throwing a medicine ball, throwing a baseball, hitting a baseball, sprinting, jumping, things that are anaerobic that are very explosive. So the big thing here is for years and years and years, pitchers just ran poles. And one of my favorite books, Ball Four, they talk about how much running is done and there's a, an ongoing discussion in that book, even back, which was written in the seven or the it was written in 1968, I think. Uh, that you know is running actually beneficial? Like we we run every day as pitchers, but why? Why are we doing this? So there's just like anything in life, I think there's balance. Now here's here's the cons of long distance running. If you go off for 30 minute runs five days a week, like if you're part of the cross country team you probably will lose a good amount of muscle mass that would otherwise be important for your bat speed or your uh, your pitching velocity. You'll lose some muscle. You'll become pretty much slower and a little bit less athletic if you're running probably five days or more a week, like running a lot. Now, just like anything, everyone wants to get on the, you know, the bandwagon and say, oh, running doesn't use, you know, jogging doesn't use the same energy system as hitting. Therefore, if you're if you're jogging, you're just getting slower. I ran three days a week, four days a week in college. I usually did interval runs, so I wasn't straight up jogging that much. But a lot of people say that you shouldn't run any more than like 50 yards to really match the same energy system as when you're throwing a baseball and then repeating it. You know, these full effort uh, blasts where you're throwing it as hard as you can and then swinging a bat as hard as you can. That really to match it, you should be only doing 50 yards at a time. Well, look, you know, it's... I didn't lose any velocity doing all that. I've worked with lots of guys. They don't lose all their velocity just by going and running for 15 minutes straight. And a lot of times, especially in the college or pro game, you get pretty beat down and tired. And sometimes you just can't muster the ability or the, the intensity, the, the energy to go out and run sprints every day. And I think running sprints pretty consistently is also very tough on your body. So I sort of roll my eyes at the idea that that's the only conditioning you should do, because if that's the only conditioning you can do, then you're going to get really out of shape, 
because you just can't sprint that much to have any sort of cardiovascular fitness. And I do think cardiovascular fitness is important for um, feeling good in general as a pitcher. So if you're a parent or an athlete and you're wondering, is distance running important? It's not important in the sense that it's really going to build anything for you except overall fitness, which I think is valuable, some body control, which is valuable. Uh, if you don't have the fitness to go out and run for 20 minutes without feeling pretty sloppy, then you're in bad shape and you're probably not going to be a great baseball player. Now that, that being said, there have been some great baseball players who maybe couldn't do that at certain points in their career. Um, but on the whole, being in better shape is always better than being in worse shape, even though there's always some outliers who can get away with having a, a pot belly or a beer belly and, uh, you know, still go out there and throw a shutout. So I think just like anything, distance running has its place. Do I think hour long runs are important or necessary? No, but if you want to go run for 20 minutes twice a week, I think it's perfectly fine. You want to do a third run of 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I think that's also probably reasonable, but probably the upper limit, because again, you should be devoting all your time to the most effective training things uh, in general. I think that's a combination of different types of runs and conditioning. I think that it does involve sprints of varying lengths, not just super short and also not tons of tons and tons of distance. So again, just like anything, find a balance. I would definitely tip the scale more in the side of sprints you know, whether that's short distance or long or medium distance, I think 400 meters and 800 meters are very effective for overall body control and core stability and stuff like that. So don't be afraid of it. But the question of is distance running important? I think overall conditioning is important. And a lot of young players today don't see the value in conditioning. They just want to go pump iron in the gym and that's great. But I think there is still something to be said for conditioning. All right, let's talk about launch angle. So launch angle is one of the more annoying debates on the web. People go, oh, he's got a launch angle swing. So here's what a launch angle swing is to me. It's one of these people who has taken this way too far and they basically like sit back on their back leg and they swing uphill. And it's a swing that you don't see in any level of real baseball. You really don't see people swing up. And you see this on Instagram accounts of, quote unquote, really high level academies, you see guys taking swings that I've never seen in a game, just really uphill, um, swinging for the hit tracks machine, whatever. So this is what people quote unquote, say these launch angle swings, these very steep upward angled swings. Um, and I will tell you that they don't really exist in pro baseball. If you compare some of these swings to any of the major leaguers you see on TV, you don't see them crazy swing up. Now launch angle, just refers to the angle of which the ball launches off the bat. So don't get this mistaken. Like the idea of like a launch angle swing isn't really a thing. Now you could still refer to it as someone who's been working hard on their, you know, trying to achieve more upward launch angle. Therefore they have a swing that's helping them achieve more upward launch angle. Um, fine. But there's not really like a launch angle swing. That's kind of a misnomer. Launch angle just refers to the, the way the ball comes off the bat. So if you hit it straight down onto the plate, that has a launch angle. If you pop it straight up, that has a launch angle of pretty much vertical, right? So it's just a reference of what angle did the ball leave your bat? That's what launch angle is. Now, this whole thing came about because of the revolution of saying, 
you know, of, of people questioning why are we doing things the way we've always been doing them. And I know when I was in college, the big trend was to kind of swing down the ball. And I specifically remember I was a, I was a pitcher, so I was not really subject to this, but um, I remember I was hitting BP in summer baseball and my teammate, I was like, Joe, help me hit a ball out. Tell me what I need to do with my swing. Like my swing sucks. What do I need to do? And he goes, well, you got to kind of swing down that way you hit the bottom half of the ball and then the, you, you know, you put backspin on it. Um, so I did that and I hit a dinger, but it really probably wasn't because I swung down. But I remember that specifically That's my only instance of being aware, I guess, back then of swinging down. I was like, huh, that seems interesting. But that was a big thing for a long time where we were stressing swinging down the ball, uh, you know, and essentially hitting not necessarily what Joe was telling me, my teammate, but swinging to hit the top half of the ball, to hit the ball hard, hit line drives, hit the ball on the ground where we know you just don't do as much damage to a pitcher if you're hitting the ball on the ground as much you know the ground balls up the middle of the unless they're down the lines they become singles whereas if you hit the ball hard and put some air under it a lot of a lot of bad things can happen so you know launch angle again is just an expression of the angle that the ball leaves the bat now if you choose to associate that with certain swings or certain coaches or certain whatever else that's up to you but that's not really what the term stands for so should you be stressing the certain angles of launch when you hit? Um, I mean, the answer is kind of yes, but again, you've got to take everything with a grain of salt and be reasonable about it and just don't be a psycho about it. That's, I think, the biggest thing is when you see hitters that just look weird, even parents that haven't played ball, they can see stuff that's weird. Like they bring their kids into me and they're like, yeah, there's something going on with my son's the way he throws. Like, it just looks weird. Like, it just looks weird. And I think all of us have a pretty good eye for that, actually. And when I say like, I've seen swings that don't exist in real life, that's exactly the way I'm saying it. Like, there's guys that that is a weird swing that does not work in pro baseball, that does not work in college baseball, that that's not how people actually swing in a game. That's just the way this guy's doing it in the cage to try to hit the ball farther on the hit tracks machine uh, or to, you know, achieve whatever certain metrics in the, in the cage. So you need to keep your eye on the prize and remember, and this is the last thing I want to park. So I don't want to get too deep on this is that launch angle, it does serve a purpose. So here's the thing. If Chris Bryant, someone who has crazy power, you know, he's got insane pop. Um, if Chris Bryant's hitting missile line drives back up the middle and they're going for singles, and he's hitting him at 105 miles per hour, you're like, hey, Chris Bryant, you know, if you lift that ball and put some air under it, that becomes a dinger. That hits off the scoreboard in, Wrig in Wrigley Field. And so for someone like him, that makes sense to lift the ball, to increase, to try to practice and, and hone his swing. And it's not necessarily changing the mechanics of the swing, but just changing his approach to try to increase the launch angle of which the ball is leaving his bat. Because he's not paid and he's got plenty of power where let's turn those line drives that are around hundred miles per hour. Let's turn those into home runs. And that makes a lot of sense, but for young players, they don't have that power. So for the vast, vast, vast majority of players, they want to be hitting with a launch angle. That's going to spray the ball over the infield, you know, hit the ball over the nets, over the screens that you would put on the infield to protect your, you know, your pitcher and your second baseman and your first baseman. So launch angle has a benefit. Like if you're trying to say, Hey, I want to, I want to 
hone my swing to hit line drives at a certain angle so that they more often than not leave my bat at this specific range of angles. The range of angles is something in the low teens where it's that hard line drive that's going to go over the infield. And occasionally, if you get a little bit more air under it and hit it pretty hard, it goes into the gaps or maybe goes over the outfitter's head. But hitters get in trouble when they they go for this like 30 degree launch angle and everything, which is like the optimum home run angle. And these players just don't have enough pop to hit home runs consistently. Like they have to absolutely just hit it perfectly to have a shot of getting it out. And they're not going to do that most of the time. And I've talked about that in other episodes where I've had teammates who are too small to consistently hit home runs. And of course, everyone's like, oh, well, Mookie Betts. Well, it's like, well, you're not Mookie Betts. And can you hit the ball on your barrel as often as you need? Probably not. So even if you have enough juice to get one out, are you going to get it on the absolute center of percussion on the bat? Probably not. And so then if you don't, guess what? It becomes a fly out and you got nothing for it. Whereas if you hit that, you know, that 12 degree uh, launch angle line drive over the infield, you have something to show for that hard hit ground or that hard hit ball, which is a single and occasionally a double. So launch angle, don't get it mixed up. It's just an expression of how the ball leaves the bat. And it can be important, but it's not something that you probably right now need to spend tons and tons of time on if you're still an amateur hitter. All right, lastly, let's talk about long-term goals. Are long-term goals important? And the answer is, uh, I kind of go back and forth on this. I think, yes, long-term goals are important. But I think the only thing that really matters, I think think goals are what sort of gets you out of bed. Uh, But I think really all that matters is what you end up doing today. I think there's an obsession today with measuring too much. And players are like, oh, I want to hit 80 by this this point. I want to hit 82 by the fall. And I want to do this by this point. I want to do this. And that's great. But I think there's an overstressing of measurement. Because if you actually look at the way you develop as an athlete, as a weightlifter, as a sprinter, at, at anything, it's never linear. And so if you have too many goals, basically what ends up happening is you find yourself in a pit of despair because you just can't possibly achieve all of them because there's such an undulation. There's this waves of up and down, up and down in your training, where if you measure yourself on Monday, you might be down an inch in your vertical jump. And then if you measure two weeks later, you might be up an inch. It There's lots of different you know factors involved. There's accumulated fatigue, like your velocity fluctuates, your jump, velo- your jump. Uh, you know we worked a lot with a lot of volleyball players. That's why I reference uh, vertical jump. Everyone wanted to increase their vertical jump. Very measurable thing, but also it's got to be like the right conditions. You know it's got to be. Are you fresh? Did you have three games this weekend? If so, your jump is certainly not going to be. Um, you're going to be tired. Um, and it's the same thing with pitching, it's the same thing with hitting, the same thing with running a 60 time, like all your conditions have to be right. You really need a peak and be ready to be as fresh as you can. And then you're going to test and see if that, that 60 time has improved. So goals, I think are important to keep you sort of centered. Like what are you playing for? What's in the, in the future for you? What's on the horizon? What are you still chasing? What gets you out of the bed in the morning? But I also think goals are just a little bit overrated because the thing that's the most accurately rated, the thing that's the most important is just putting your feet to pavement today and just putting in the work. And it doesn't 
matter if you added five pounds to your weights today. It doesn't matter if you got, like it just matters if you put in the effort to get a little bit better today. And when you do that, it probably won't be measurable. It probably won't be something that is gonna be overly linear where, you know, next week I'm definitely clearly measurably better than I was today. And so again, like a lot of times goals become somewhat irrelevant. Like I know there's some coaches that say, oh, if you can't measure it, don't do it. Well, there's a lot of stuff that's not measurable. There's a lot of stuff that uh, is, is even when you do measure it, it's gonna go up in such small increments that if you're measuring by, you know, one pound or five pounds in the gym, it's gonna take you a month to go up even one pound. So it's not really gonna be measurable in the increments that you're using to measure it. You know, weight plates are in certain graduations. So goals, I, I think there's an obsession with them sometimes. I think they matter, but we also can't control when life happens. You know, for a kid that's waiting for a growth spurt who wants to hit 80 miles per hour, he can't really control whether that's gonna happen, right? There's lots of things that can't we can't control. There's so much out of our control, especially in baseball. There's so much luck involved. Like you can say that you wanna be drafted, but really all you can do is prepare to have the best training, conditioning, and, and have the skills to be drafted. But ultimately, if you're like most players who are drafted, you're in a big pool of players who are very similar to you. And you getting drafted in the, in the 10th round is no different than being drafted in the 22nd round. You being drafted drafted in the 22nd round is really not much different than being drafted in the 37th round because it's just whether some scout thinks you're the guy rather than some other guy. You know, I have a bunch of scout friends and they they say like you'd be surprised how little difference there is between guys after the 10th round. Like basically it's just like a, a lot of scouts in a room saying, "Hey, who's got a catcher that we should, you know, who's got a catcher?" Like, "Oh yeah, I got this guy, he's great." La la la. "No, I got this other guy." And it's almost like a raffle. And the, the, the premium talent goes off the board very consistently. Like everyone knows who the absolute best players are in the draft. And then after that, there's a big pool of players who are pretty good, who are probably worthy of being drafted. But, you know, is there a difference between a 20th rounder and a 23rd rounder? No, like there just isn't. It just happens to be that this team said, yeah, let's take that guy now. And they do. So there's a lot of factors that are just they're subject and they're just out of, out of our control and they're in some other human's control and subject to their whims and their schedule and their timing. And, uh, and that can be really tough. So I think there's, there's just a balance. And when considering different types of goals, you should be considering whether they're actually within your control or not. So like batting average, not very much in your control, ERA, not much in your control, win loss record. My best season, I was one in five with a 1.8 ZR ERA. So you look at my ERA, you're like, dang, they never even scored off you. But, you know, I had five losses because I pitched as a setup man on a bad team where we only, always had either a one-run lead or it was a tie game. So if I gave up a run, I gave up a, I got a loss. So, again, there's lots of different stuff like that. If I had said, all right, my goal this year is to have, you know, 20 saves, well, my team doesn't have win enough games to give me a save, right? So, like, if my goal is to be, you know, go 5-0, and my team doesn't win enough games to get me to five and all I can control is every pitch that I throw. I can't control my ERA. I can't control this. I can't control that for hitters. You can control your attitude and your preparation and the pitch selection and, and the pitches that you choose to swing at stuff like that. But you really can't control whether you get hits, right? You control it, whether you get a, you put a good swing on the bat or a swing on the ball. So with all that said, just consider 
the goals that you're setting and whether they're actually within your control and whether they're actually rather whether they're actually linear whether they're actually obtainable and how long from now they're obtainable and whether they're actually valuable like do you need to have a goal like that to still put in the work that you need and the answer might be yes and sometimes the answer might be no well that's it for today's episode of dear baseball gods If you enjoy the show and would like to support me while improving your baseball IQ, buy one of my books or enroll today in an online pitching course. Sign up for any of my courses through the links in the show notes and save 20% with code BASEBALLGODS just for being a listener. My online courses walk you through pitching mechanics, strategy, learning new pitches, and mental skills training. They're start to finish an amazing solution for pitchers, parents, and coaches who want step-by-step instruction. Pitching Isn't Complicated, my first book, is a thorough pitching manual with strategy, pitch grips, mechanics, mindset, routines, and other high-level pitching concepts. Not sure what your son is in for if he falls in love with the game? Dear Baseball Gods, the book is my memoir, a story of growing up in the game, persevering through injuries and setbacks, and struggling with identity when I finally had to clean out my locker. Buy a copy today via the links in the show notes, available in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook if you just can't get enough of my voice. Be sure to subscribe to my weekly email list where you'll get updates on all my new videos and episodes. Nearly 4,000 people get my emails, and you should too. Sign up through the link in the show notes. Lastly, who do you know who can use some good advice? Please share this podcast with a friend, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and subscribe to my YouTube channel where you'll find this podcast and hundreds of baseball instructional videos. As always, hustle and stay pious. I'm Dan Blewett, and I'll see you next time.